welcome to the International Labour Organization's Global Business Network on Forced Labour's podcast. We are the Global Business Network bringing together businesses of all sizes and sectors and their representative organizations from around the globe to end forced labour. In the next few episodes of the podcast series, we're going to be exploring how forced labour is linked to other abuses, crimes and challenges, such as climate change, illicit trade and child labour. To address root causes, successful interventions need to tackle these challenges together. Forced labour does not occur in isolation, and we need to adopt more holistic interventions if we're to truly build back better. In this episode, we're discussing forced labour, child labour and climate change. We're joined by Rachel Rigby, who's the global lead for forced labour at the Rainforest Alliance, an international organisation using the power of the market to drive sustainable transformation at the intersection of business, agriculture and forests. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. So climate change is already affecting many people around the world, but how is it increasing vulnerability to forced labor and child labor? What do the numbers say? Well, we know there is a direct causal link between climate change and vulnerability to forced and child labor. In terms of vulnerability to forced labor, one linkage is the increase in so-called climate migrants, people who have had to leave their home communities because of major climate associated events like floods, or slower developing climate impacts like droughts and rises in temperature. And these have left them without a livelihood. My organization, Rainforest Alliance, works in agriculture and we're really seeing climate change directly affecting what crops it is possible to grow in a particular location. If you are a fourth generation smallholder coffee farmer and your region of Guatemala or Indonesia is now too hot and dry to grow coffee, you or someone in your family may need to leave and seek a livelihood elsewhere. Of course, migrants don't necessarily become victims of modern slavery, but they are more likely to make risky decisions and to engage with exploitative recruiters or take any job they can find, including highly exploitative and precarious ones, so they are more vulnerable. You asked about the numbers. Um, indeed, in the past three decades, the number of migrants has doubled from the world's 20 most climate vulnerable countries. Some estimates tell us that by 2070, the portion of the globe that is barely livable, a hot zone, could go up to 19%, affecting millions of people. And the most affected regions are expected to be Southeast Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. Of course, there's never just one cause of migration. The causes are always multidimensional. In many cases, the impacts of climate change are a tipping point, building on other vulnerabilities. There is also a clear linkage between climate change and forced labor relating to people who do not migrate, but who are instead at increased risk of exploitative labor practices due to climate-induced changes in their home landscape. When a whole community becomes resource scarce due to climate change, this often pushes workers into more informal and precarious employment, and sometimes forces them to take out loans they cannot repay, things like this. Decent work just does not thrive in climate-affected landscapes. In terms of child labor, when farmers have decreased productivity due to climate change and therefore reduced income, this increases the likelihood that they will put their children in work to contribute to the family income. And then obviously if these children are working, they're not in school and this affects their long-term prospects as well as that of their countries in terms of economic development. Now, among the climate migrants around the world, there are high numbers of young people. According to the International Organization for Migration, 
half a billion children live in extremely high flood occurrence zones, and nearly 160 million children are living in areas experiencing high or extremely high drought severity. Many children migrate either with their families or alone and are at extreme risk of child labor and forced labor because of their age, their often irregular migration status, their lack of language skills, and other factors. We don't have numbers on the impacts of climate change on child labor. The causes of child labor are very multidimensional. And of course, in the past couple of years, COVID has had a major impact as well, causing schools to close and leaving many children without alternatives. Thank you so much, Rachel. That's fantastic. And I think, as you say, there's, there's never one cause and all these issues are very much interlinked. And so how can we tackle these issues together? Can we integrate climate change into the way we address modern slavery? What are some of the solutions? Yes, we can tackle them together. These problems, climate change and labor abuses like child labor and forced labor are clearly linked. So the solutions must be as well. Of course, the solutions involve a range of actors all playing their important roles, including governments through their policy decisions, donors channeling funding where it will be most impactful, organizations like the Rainforest Alliance and many others doing innovation and the nexus between climate change and human rights and developing proven approaches on the ground that can be scaled. At the heart of all solutions is supporting people's livelihoods. For people who are in climate hot zones and other areas of extreme vulnerability and do not wish to leave, it is critical to ensure decent livelihoods and good jobs. For farmers, this means learning to adapt to and mitigate climate change, which can then translate to decent work opportunities for farm workers as well. And for people who do choose to migrate, we need to strengthen the web of protection from modern slavery, particularly by ensuring safe and decent work. These efforts must be equitable and benefit all vulnerable and marginalized people, including people in or vulnerable to modern slavery. Creating good jobs and livelihoods in climate vulnerable areas can help stem migration and displacement. And good jobs are also part of the necessary remedy for those who have been displaced. A key point I would make in terms of integrating climate change into the way we address modern slavery. As practitioners in the field of anti-forced labor, anti-modern slavery, anti-trafficking, we're all familiar with the three P's framework. That's prevention, prosecution, and protection. For me, interventions to adapt and mitigate climate change are an important form of prevention. For example, at the Rainforest Alliance, we run programs to build farmers' capacity to implement climate smart agriculture, CSA. This is an approach to food production that can sustainably increase productivity and incomes for farmers, increase resilience to climate change, and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. As we have learned from implementation for over a decade, localized climate smart agriculture practices have the potential for far-reaching positive impacts on the global food system. For example, we have a beneficiary, Dashat Tandibua, a cocoa farmer in central Sulawesi, Indonesia. Indonesia is a particularly vulnerable country to climate change. This is a quote from Mr. Tandibua. I reaped many benefits by adopting climate smart agriculture practices in my farm, such as planted cover crops, weed management, reduced pests and diseases. Now my soil is not dry in the dry season and I have only the minimum level of black pod, which is a type of mold during the rainy season. So this has been his experience of increasing his livelihood and resilience through climate smart agriculture in a country that is very prone to climate change. 
Increased attention is also being paid to traditional, ancestral, and indigenous knowledge and techniques as grassroots responses to climate change. Anti-Slavery International is actually doing great work on the nexus between climate change and modern slavery, and they've just come out with a new report that delves into this. Thanks, Rachel. And really, that's absolutely key to focus on prevention and highlighting um, the work that we need to do to uh, prevent these abuses from occurring. Um, could you give us an example of the Rainforest Alliance's work and how you see these issues intersecting? The program that Rainforest Alliance is best known for is our certification program. This program covers more than 5 million hectares of land globally and engages major segments of key global commodity value chains, including cocoa, where we certify over 30% of total global production, tea, where we certify over 20%, and coffee, over 10%. We have just released a new sustainable agriculture standard, which will go into effect this coming July. The standard has embedded climate smart agriculture principles as a way to steer sectors towards these practices and scale them up. Of course, our standard also includes all of the fundamental labor rights and is aligned with ILO standards. I'd like to share the story of Reina Cristina Castillo, which helps explain the impact of our standard. As we have seen over the past decade, major weather events like hurricanes linked to climate change have heavily impacted Central America. Reina's family home and livelihood in Honduras were destroyed by Hurricane Mitch, and her family moved to a coffee-growing community in a different part of the country. They now work on a Rainforest Alliance certified coffee farm. Because this farm implements all of the requirements of our certification standard, this helps ensure decent prices for the farm and decent wages and working conditions for Reina and her family. So while many coffee farmers and workers from this community in Honduras have had to seek a livelihood elsewhere, the Castillo family has been able to remain in their homeland. Wonderful, and thank you for sharing that story with us. That's incredible. What is one key message that you could leave us with and where can we find out more about the Rainforest Alliance's work? Well, first I would emphasize, you know, with all the talk of increased migration around the world can come fear, and I certainly do not want to trigger that. On the contrary, the answer is not to close borders or communities to vulnerable migrants, but rather to really support them. These problems, climate change and labor abuses like child labor and forced labor are clearly linked, so the solutions must be as well. I believe we need to see even more collaboration between organizations at field level that focus on climate change and organizations that focus on human rights, including issues like child labor and forced labor. We must join forces and integrate our approaches into intersectional and scalable models. I would love to see modern slavery donors channeling their funds toward countries at high climate risk. I know this is something the ILO is doing through your Jobs for Peace and Resilience program, employment generation with a focus on conflict affected and disaster prone countries. I'd really like to see even more of that type of initiative from many donors going forward. As for the Rainforest Alliance's work, we are uniquely positioned in this nexus between environmental and human rights issues. To learn more about our work, visit www.rainforest-alliance.org and don't hesitate to reach out with any questions you might have. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rachel, for that. And we'll be looking into your website for more details. Uh, thank you for joining us today. This is a podcast from the International Labour Organization's Global Business Network on Forced Labour. 
visit our website on flbusiness.network for more information. I am the coordinator of the network, Laura Green. Thank you for joining us and look out for our next episode.